and welcome to our latest episode of Certified Fresh. I'm your host on this journey today, Brian Z. This week, we take a deep dive into one of the largest parts of line drive with our own Vice President of Field Sales, Scott Woods. Having held multiple roles at the company, Scott has really benefited from understanding how our team, and I mean the whole team, can impact the end user, our distributor partners, and of course, our manufacturer clients. We discuss how he's seen the market and our team evolve, what are the most important things that we should be doing as an organization to help customers understand and solve problems every day, and how executing on the right behaviors can lead to rapid sales growth. We also learn a little more about the Brit behind the man. Following Scott, we continue on with our recurring segment where we get to learn a little bit more about our new line drivers. Joining me from down the hall in a Hampton Inn in Hutchinson, Kansas, is Ryan McNelly. Old McSelly gives us a look into his life and what he's been enjoying most about being at Line Drive. And now, enjoy the latest. Sit back, turn up the volume, and stay fresh. All right, joining me as the lead guest this week, uh, longtime line driver, a uh, man who has worn many hats within the organization. Uh, joining me, Vice President of Field Sales, Scott Woods. Scott, how are hey, you today? Yeah, I'm great. Thanks for having me, Mr. Zamania. Yes, a lot of requests, a lot of people in- interested in your story and your vision and, and where you see as we, we come into the, the back half of the year. Um, lots of changes at Line Drive, and it's always good to, to have somebody in a position like yours overseeing a large part of our team help shed some light on where you see our business and where we see uh, growth in the coming half year, H- H2 and 2022. Yeah, I, uh, well, I can assure you of this. Uh, two things. The vision for Line Drive is is uh, something to be very excited about. Um, the Scott Woods backstory and anything about me generally nowhere near as exciting. No, I don't think so. I mean, the first thing I notice is that you talk funny. Yeah, I, uh, I'm, you know, these days I, uh, I'm actually uh, flattered when somebody notices. I, you know, <laughs> I've, I've been in the U.S. now for, um, I moved over in 99. So if my math is right, this August will be 22 years. Yeah, and, the two. you know, 22 years, that's uh, more than half my life I've been in the States. Uh, that puts me in England, uh, old England, for, for 18 years where I, Served the tea to the queen and all the other things. You did all that. You were on like a, the trajectory to be one of the Buckingham Palace guards, as I understand it. Exactly. And then Those black hats. Yeah, that's exactly that's exactly <laughs> it. Required. Um, in fact, my story there is: if you've seen Oliver Twist, it's a lot like it. <laughs> all right. So, so for those of us who've not, maybe fill in the shade and some of the, the outline there. Oh, Oliver Twist. Uh, it's very cliche, old London, England. Um, you know, poverty and all that kind of stuff. And he's there's a scene in particular where he uh, he's working in the workhouse and he dares to ask for more food. And uh, the story is really good. But, yeah, that's uh, required reading if you're a young English lad. All right. You got you to learn those lessons, those important life things. So there's yep. you, young boy in a small English town outside of London, and all of a sudden you get a uh, call to change. Uh, I don't want to say change your life, but a call to change your life. It did change my life. I uh, it definitely did. I you know it's growing up in England. Uh, you know, there's only you know I, I I wasn't exactly a rock star in school. I I I was serviceable. You know, I, I 
I did all the right. I did it's a, a great way to describe a serviceable. Yeah, I, I showed up. So I did. I did generally all the right things. I uh, my path in England. I was supposed to, uh, according to my father. Uh, I was supposed to go into become like a physical education teacher. I was very athletic, and I, I was always I was good at all sports. Basically, not great, at, you know, not exceptional at any, but good at all. And it was a good path. I like I like teaching. I like coaching, and um, being a PE teacher seemed like the right path. And then uh, with that, I was getting ready to go off to uh, the University of Canterbury, um, where I was going to study sports science and. Um, and then out of nowhere, I started getting these phone calls from these American colleges uh, to to come and play soccer at at their particular college. So I uh, didn't even know such thing as a scholarship existed until, you know, one in particular was a Dutchman out of Kansas City who said, uh, I will pay for your entire education if you come and play goalkeeper. And I said, yes. All right. And that's it. That's where it all started. And then there was, uh, you know, me moving to Kansas City. I honestly I couldn't tell you anything about Kansas City before I moved. But it was like man, I wouldn't have known any different. I was gonna say two questions. One, as I'm sitting in Hutchinson, Kansas, in the middle of the state, like, would you have you had like no idea like what Kansas City was or where it was? No, I really didn't. I, uh, I, I literally, if if I had landed in Kansas City and it looked like New York, I'd have been none the wiser. I would, I, I had no clue. Probably means I probably should have should have done a little more prep, but. I don't know. I, I just didn't know much. Like I knew Top Gun. <laughs> That's what. <laughs> Those are my reference points. Once, once you heard like scholarship, free ride, free college, you were like, whatever. I've seen I've seen enough American things in the movies. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Also, I think that cheeseburgers are bigger. Cheeseburgers. That's probably true. Were you a goalie previous to this, or was just like, uh, we want you to play goalie? No, I was. Okay. I, uh, um, I was always a goalkeeper for some reason. Slightly taller than the average nine-year-old, I suppose, which is when I started playing. And then uh, that was it. It stuck. Put the tall, lanky kid in goal. That's, that's in- how it Yeah, so that's interesting how we get stuck in some of those things, right? It's like, you are, this is right for you now, so this is what you will do. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Now, you were at yeah. T- so you're in college, you meet your wife, all that stuff's good. You two of you are living in Kansas City, but you are not a Kansas City resident currently. That's correct. You know, we uh, we we hit it off from the beginning. It was kind of sophomore year, you know, in college. So uh, I think we went on a date and then started, you know, putting together the marriage plans. Like we just sort of hit it off from the beginning. Um yeah, so we uh, we start we both start our careers. We're both um, you know both in the same college, both have similar degrees. We both going to into corporate America. Uh, my wife had a job with um, Hallmark Cards, which is based out of Kansas City. And um, around 2010, the, they offered her an opportunity to manage the southeast corner of the the U.S., the North Carolina, South Carolina, Virginia market. And I, my job was able to, you know, it was, it was a it was a remote position, so I was able to move with her. So we moved to Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, at that stage, I don't mind admitting, I could not have pointed out North Carolina on a map. <laughs> even even after being in the U.S. for like five six years, you're still like, you don't. Yeah. I guess you don't learn that. That's like fundamentals that you like study up on when you're an adult. <laughs> yeah, right. I was, you know, googling, you know, states of America. No, I I couldn't I couldn't have pointed out on a map. I. I would have got it wrong, but since moving there, I, can tell you, I mean, it's been 11 years now. It's, it's a fantastic state. I love living there. And you can pick it out like nine out of 10 times. Now I'm pretty solid. Pretty, my, it, you know, sometimes it, like between the three of them there, I mean, 
they're all kind of similar looking. Yeah, similar. Is it Tennessee? Yeah. I don't know. Who knows? Exactly. So you're in you're in Raleigh. You're hanging out, and then all of a sudden you get a uh, you get tapped to uh, interview for a position with Line Drive. Yeah, I um, the piece of the business I was with. Uh, I used to work for GE. Uh, the piece of the business I was with. Uh, this is going to shock anybody who worked for GE. It got sold. <laughs> um, <laughs> Always reinventing. It, it, they, exactly. So my piece of the business got sold. They didn't have an outside sales model. This is the new company. And so they basically said, you are not going with it. So I was in need of, uh, well, employment. Um, so I, uh, I reached around to uh, a couple of friends. Uh, one of them referred me to Line Drive. And I remember having a conversation with Anthony R. Chrissy. And uh, that was it. The rest is history. Seven years late, they're still here. And um, gosh, was that not the best decision Anthony ever made? Right. So I don't, I, I don't want to rain on your parade here, but this is, a, you know, for, for people listening who haven't been around for a while, this is we're expanding in the East and we were trying to fill out territories we hadn't been in before. And he'll correct me if I'm wrong, but Anthony's strategy is like, we need a hook. Like up north, we had a tall guy. And so like that's he's a real tall guy. And then we had Scott. He's like, I got this guy. He's great. He's this British accent. Everyone's gonna remember him. You know, they know exactly who it is. It's Scott, the British guy. I was like, okay, that's a that's a strategy. <laughs> right. I he had an accent and a pulse. Right. And it seemed good. And he lives in the Carolinas. We need someone in the Carolinas. So done and done. Yeah. Which is good. But so, yeah. so you started you started with us in the SC role, and you've bopped around a couple different positions since then. Yeah, I, uh, I I really enjoy I, I I enjoyed the SC position or back then the territory manager piece. Right. You know what? I I don't mind admitting I my my passion for coaching and teaching it would it, it always it was always there. I always wanted to be um, kind of helping lift other people up. I I really I really did have a passion for that. I saw that in some other extracurricular things that I did. Well, I just got a kick out of watching, uh, watching and being a part of other people be very successful, at whatever it is they wanted to be. And I remember, uh, I just remember coming to you, Brian, um, at one point and having that conversation with you and, and some others, saying, "This is, this is how I want to be valuable. Um, this is how I think I can be valuable." And you know, we uh, we built a plan at that point, and I was very fortunate that some pieces came together. That was cool. Yeah, there, I think there was a lot of things that, that slotted around at that point, and you certainly were proactively raising your hand saying, you know, I, I think I would be a good fit for this, and how do we make that happen? I, there was a, a post-Christmas visit by JJ and I. We got to have lunch with you and Angie. Not that Angie, but your Angie. Um, your Angie. So, But we laid some foundation, you know, certainly allowed some shift. I, I think I, I, I um, you know, saw a lot of positive that came from it. Certainly it, it was able to put me into this position. And by that, I mean, podcast host, not the rest of the stuff I do really, <laughs> really freed up my time to, to start recording podcasts. But, um, and it's really cool. And, and, and since you've evolved, you know, from ma- managing the East team to the VP of field sales, you know, how, how did you initially envision that role and, and how has it changed since you started uh, a few years ago? Yeah, no, it's a, uh, it's a really great question. I think, uh, at the root of our business, the fundamentals of our business haven't really changed all that much. I think we still service, uh, we still provide an exceptional service to our client. Um, we still do that uh, through our distribution partners, um, and we still leverage leverage those relationships to get us to the best end users in the market. Those, I don't know that that really has changed ever. Um, the, the fundamentals remain the same. I think, you know, we we we've evolved um, the field. 
um, where I think we've done a better job in recent years of uh, being dependent on our field team to be absolute experts and owners in their space. Um, you know, there, there was a time where it was a very heavy, very heavy metrics, and it was providing essentially the business with data points to be able to be uh, in front of our clients explaining the value that we bring. But now I think we're, we're more so dependent on our sellers to be um, the leaders in their space, the CEO of their territory, mm. so to speak, uh, while, you know, they're reporting into their managers and, and telling them, this is what it means. This is what it's going to take for me to be successful at the field level. So um, I, I think we've seen an evolution there of thinking more than we have sort of structure. Um, but it's um, it's been a lot of fun to be a part of, um, most definitely. Yeah, I, I do think I agree with you on that point. We've gone from from I don't want to say heavy metrics, but using using metric metrics and data to drive our business and and still keeping some of that, you know, there, there's things that we want to, to manage to, but I think at the end of the day, you're absolutely right. There's a lot of autonomy on what each SC, uh, and frankly, across our business, what each SC does uh, in order to, to move the needle, so to speak, or to drive their number. And, you know, there's, there's that balance there. And I think it's, it can be a little bit of a challenge, but understanding if you're hitting the right things and you're, you're balancing, but going after and using your time, to look for the best qualified right opportunities, there's really a chance to grow and accelerate, um, you know, the, your POS and, and ultimately your sales dollars and your commission dollars. Yeah, I completely agree. I uh, yeah, I um, I was I was thinking of an analogy because uh, I my my brain thinks in analogies. Um, everything's an analogy, it seems. Uh, but the uh, I um, you know I think about. You know the the car. My I drive a Jeep, right? So um, it basically it's a machine. I use it. It's doing all the hard work, and it's exceptional. Uh, but at times, you know, there's there's sort of a, a gap in its performance. Let's say I, I just had this recently. There was sort of this juddering feeling coming from uh, the engine. So I took it into a uh, O'Reilly's Auto Parts. I don't know if we get you know if we get sponsor credits for that. Shout out. Uh, yeah. Um, but they take that little doodicky and they plug it into the car and it reports out, this is the issue. You got this sensor out. I think for the most part, that's how we operate. We, we got the machine. The machine is running constantly and fine, but we do need to have sort of a baseline of data points and activity measures and those sorts of things to let us know what's happening uh, if we see there's a breakdown or an issue. So um, – our team is out there to be an exceptional salespeople. They provide us with good data points. And those are the things that we can use as a business to course correct if we need to. That may be a terrible analogy. No. Don't fly. I like it. it. It's those, those tools are called the OBD or onboard diagnostic tools. And I think that's, and the idea is that it's, it's meant to, to take a, take a reading while the, the car is running. And I think that's a really good analogy to say, you know, if you're an SC, you've got somebody who's looking at your business. If, if you're newer, you have some more annoying people like me looking at your business and, and understanding, you know, what are you missing or, or what, you know, if you're having a little bit of stumble, what's causing that? And then what can we do? What can we either swap out from a behavior wise or, you know, clean or fix up or straighten up? You said you were, you were going to trade in, in analogies. You think analogies. I was waiting for the dad jokes to come out there. <laughs> Yeah, I uh, I do have plenty of those. When you got a nine year old daughter and a six year old, nearly seven year old son, um, my my, my dad joke, my dad joke game is on point. It's very true. So one of the things, super, well, super like a Superman superpower, exactly. 
one of the things you mentioned about you know how the roles change it's more of you said it's, it's less structure and more of just execution uh, one of the things I, I do think has been interesting over the past few months structurally has been the move from uh, six um, regional managers down to three sales directors that that sort of you came into that six um, that, that six regional piece and and have worked to move it and so talk to me about or, or talk to us about you know what was the inside and in, in your thinking behind that and and what does that do for us as an organization yeah I think uh, two things I think there's I, I think the it was the marriage of two things number one I thought I felt like we had we had to have uh, people dedicated to a manager or director type position, um, not playing two roles. There was always this this dynamic of, if I look at the three that we have in those roles today, at any given time, the question in their mind was, do I focus on my territory? Do I focus on my region? That's, that's, a, that's a conflicting position that they're inherently in by virtue of their role. Um, I'm not saying it, it, was, it was catastrophic that that was a position in, but gosh, just think of how streamlined it could be if they didn't even have that decision in the decision tree. Uh, They're much more effective almost instantly. And the other part of that too is what made it the timing really good was the talent level that they displayed as part of that manager side of their role. So huge shout out to the team that's in place today because gosh, I don't know if we could have, it could have been successful or we could have been primed to do it if they hadn't have shown a high degree of competency in that manager side of their role as, as it was prescribed at the time. So I, um, I think where we find ourselves today in particular with that structural change is we've got three highly qualified, highly talented individuals going into a director position that are going to be able to help those, I referenced it earlier, I talked about our SCs being the CEO or the owner of their space. They, these, these three essentially get to play board of directors. They're not dictating the role of the SC. What they're doing is aggregating the results of and coaching, guiding, steering, communicating, strategizing, aligning with the business and supporting said CEO and then being successful in running their space. So I, I major upside, and I already already feel it, already see it. It's it's priming us for a really really strong end of the year um, from an overall culture and performance standpoint, taking us to accelerate us into 2022. One of the things I, I see from you know being I don't say on the outside, that's not fair, but being you know being from a, not in the day to day management stru- structure of it is that what I'm already hearing is, is those. Three, which who were really excellent at managing their territory, are now looking at it for holistically from a region, and are using wins and opportunities that they're working with their team on to drive that on a national level. You know, I'm hearing yeah. Dudley's meeting with national account managers. Angie's putting together national programs. Peter's diving into that as well. And so, in my mind, where I see it is that you know they're able to, I don't say get deeper in the details, but further understand it understand where we're winning, knowing who we're winning with, uh, seeing, I don't say trends, but multiple wins there, and then using that to leverage further further gains on their side, whether it's in, um, you know, in conjunction with a distributor partner or it's you know, ultimately finding out who at that end-user customer controls that regionally or nationally and knowing those that's, names. That's an excellent point. I think you, you and I would agree that we, you know, the, the, sort of the statement, the generic statement that's been made over the years is only the end user. Boy, I, I know we've done a lot of great things, but I think we still have a long ways to go. 
And, you know, the the team being structured as it is with the three that we're talking about, um, I don't know why I'm just avoiding mentioning their names. <laughs> the, three. the three. Um, they, uh, they've done a they, – they're finding out creative – they're finding creative ways to take that quote of owning the end user to another level. Um, so I, I'm not going to say we're there, but I'm going to say this is one heck of a launch pad for us to improve our engagement with the end user and truly begin to own them. So I'm going to ask, because uh, I think I think it was a good tee up, you know, what do you see as the number one area that we have for growth for the field? Is it that owning the end user? Is that, is that where your head's at? I think it's, I think it's, yeah, I, I, I think it is owning the end user, but I, maybe, maybe I would tee it up this way. Um, I look at what, I look at it, maybe I'm looking at the negative here, but I'm looking at the risk of loss when you get a big win with a DuPont. You sign them up, sign up an end user, and it's two hundred thousand dollars of POS on an annual basis. But the second you walk out the door, Kimberly Clark is knocking on the door trying to get that business back or win it away from you. So I think it's 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 really it's almost like cause effect. Yes, it, there's owning the end user, but it's owning the end user to protect our position in the market as well as embolden our position in the market. So I think it's being able to own the end user so that you can own your POS. Okay. Um, so you can own the, the really the revenue stream that is, uh, is how we make money. Um, you can own the end user and it not be profitable. We got to own them and ensure that it's profitable. All right. Did that answer your question? I want to make sure. Yeah. I that makes sense. It's that's your point. Maybe it's uh, something that we've um, haven't always done the best job at. I'm trying to be uh, I'm trying to be fair here. Charitable is is really like taking those big wins, those two hundred thousand dollar wins, and making sure that we're leveraging both internally uh, at the end user, but also making sure that that we've fulfilled what we said we we're going to do, and that they're you know happy as far as service delivery and performance. Yeah. Yep. That's that's us as a collective team from from SC to to me. And, and partnering with our headquarter team as well to make sure that there's capacity built in with all the various deliverables that we have to bid. I, I acknowledge that our team is asked to do a lot of different things. So it's important as a group, um, not not from my seat down or from the SEC through, it's us as a team working together to figure out how to make sure that we have enough capacity in our day, in our planning, to be able to go to an end user and truly own them to the best of our ability. It, it is a miss if we ask them to go into an end user, own them, but then get me 12 sales calls in a day. I, you can't own an end user when that when that is the case. So how do we build out the plan that allows us to own the right number of end users? Because I don't know that we can own them all, but we again, we got to protect ourselves on the POS side. So it's build POS and protect POS, build capacity in our day to be able to do that. Um, that's that's through the organization us working together to get that done yeah i think that makes sense and that, that's a good point there that you know we need to end that end user and, and i'll touch on that in a second but at the same time if we're setting up for that to be a transactional conversation or a you know not not something that's going to drive and nurture the relationship and the um uh you know bringing the solution and making sure that it's what's best for the customer and we again turn it into a, a touch point or a data point and there's um a lot that's wasted there sure yeah Agreed. So, but I also think you know by by focusing on that end user, and we think it's something near and dear to, to everyone's heart, uh, mine especially, is that multi line selling, aka bundle sell. You I've know, heard of this. If we talked about it, it's come up once or twice. Um, 
you know, I, I think, you know, from your standpoint, I know you measure this a lot on, on the, I'm sure they a lot. It comes up. It's a metric that we measure every month on the call to action. And, you know, you've set targets and goals for growth this year, you know, Help us understand, I guess, for, for those listening, you know, how would owning that end-user relationship drive those repeat sales and then drive growth? Yeah, you know, I, 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 I've had the opportunity to interview a lot of uh, really great talent, either coming into the business or for some reason or another, they, it didn't work out. We went with a, a really great candidate either way. But we've, we've had this dialogue, and I share this statement. Um, and I'll, I'll back into this answer, if you don't mind. The <laughs> the term trusted advisor is not something you can self-declare. you got to earn that, <laughs> which Fair. unfortunately for our business, too many people, they sort of self-declare themselves as trusted advisors. Great. What does that mean? What mm-hmm. it means is, is you've delivered value, value in a lot of key areas in that person's business. So for us, how can I get to where I'm a trusted advisor or own the end user? I've helped them solve a problem with their PPE. I've helped them solve the problem in production. I've helped them solve basic slip, trip, and fall type stuff. I've helped them with working in uh, hypes programs. All of that implies I brought value in a number of key areas. Mm. The measurable there is how many different manufacturers have we sold into that that customer. So it's a site-level measurable because it almost paints the picture of the journey from being a transactional salesperson to trusted advisor. If I've got a customer that's buying four or five different manufacturers from me in in the context of problems I've helped them solve, I there's a point at which I will allow you then to, to self-declare trusted advisor because I think that's the journey. We want to get there. And I, I don't think any of our team wants to just be transactional salespeople. I think they want to be highly valued um, highly regarded, trusted advisors. But to get there, it means you've helped the customer with a lot of different problems, and you've sold them a bunch of different stuff. Yeah, I think that that takes my uh, my comment. Usually, like you know, most salespeople are self declared. Yeah, know, there's not, it's there are. I know there's programs out there. Don't don't send me comments. There are pro, there are programs out there that people take with sales and. But for the most part, most people in our industry, it's it's something that we, we get into. And you know, to your point, you you can you can say you're a salesperson. That doesn't mean you're any good at it. And I'm, we've all met plenty who are not. Um, similar to trusted advisor, until until that customer actually sees you in that role, you can say it all you want. But you know, are you really going to get the, the kind of growth and the the alignment that you want there? Yeah, I completely. Agree. I, I'm I'm reminded of a of a question one of my old bosses used to hit me with all the time. If they say something like, I'm a trusted advisor, said boss would say, which means? <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> that which means question suggests you've got to be able to back that statement up. Why, how, why am I a trusted advisor? Because I've helped that customer solve three different problems. Well, how did that affect their overall business? Well, they bought $30,000 worth of this type of glove because it helped reduce the cost of injury rates and all those sorts of things. I, all of that picture is told cleanly um, from the point where you declare I'm trusted advisor all the way through to that initial transactional engagement. Correct. Do you, that brings up an interesting point. I was going to ask you about like hurdles to growth and things like that. Um, hearing you say that, I, I feel that maybe that's one of the dangers is not being able to fully articulate uh, the solutions and the value that we've brought for our customers, especially those that are, you know, key to our business that we've identified as key to our business. Yeah, that's um, 
That's an interesting point. I think, you know, we, we do, when we have a, you know, our relationship with our clients suggests that they are hiring us so that we could be expert salespeople in the field. What that, what that buys them is that level of expertise, but then we have to create visibility to the value that we bring. And that value that we bring is almost as powerful as the POS that we generate. So we do have to tell a complete and thorough value story back to our clients. And we own that. We have we own that. And if we can't create that value story, they're not going to be the, the, the end user. Uh, excuse me. Our value that we bring to the client is going to fall short if it's just POS. It's bigger than that. It's the value story that comes with the package. I, I like that you use the word client, and I know that you, there, there's the specific alignment in our sort of terms of client, but I see clients all, all the way through the chain from end user to distributor to manufacturer partner. Or, you know, that, that all of those, if we're not making sure that they're clear on, on what we've done to, to help or assist or the energy and effort we're putting in, then there's definitely a, uh, a miss and, and a strong potential to be seen as transactional, as not a, a value driving partner. Yeah, I, uh, another thing I would say to one about you know anyone who was a candidate and going through our interview process is a uh, statement I found myself t- saying a lot is earn the right. Mm. Earn the right to come back and solve another problem. Earn the right for them to call you instead of a competitive manufacturer. Right. Instead of them calling the other PPE manufacturer rep, they call you because you've earned the right. Um, you have... Uh, you have a high level of subject matter expertise. You have a high say-do ratio. All those things earn you the right to come back. Um, and so I, I, I would say that that's critical. You, you, you referenced all those various stakeholders in, our, in, in the chain. We've got to earn the right to do business with all of them. And uh, I think that, that's critical. Yeah, I, I absolutely think so. That, you know, again, that, that, I like that right to come back you know, and earning that place. That you know they, they see that that you're there um, and that you are somebody who who deserves to help them out. I there's a, a story from a while back of, of me getting in an argument with someone because they were very frustrated that um, one of our distributor partners that they did not win the business with they they won some glove business and another distributor partner came back in and, and tried to lowball and in fact did lowball and took that business from them and you know as, as cliche or cheesy it is I was like well how come that seller didn't or excuse me how come that end user didn't pick up the phone. You know, if you were gone in and you solved the problem and you worked with them and they knew exactly that it was right when someone came in and said, ah, that stupid, you should have this one. It's less expensive. I'll save you money by just having a, a lesser quality. They should have said, hey, well, you know what? My line drive person, I really, like, we agreed on this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to consult on that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give him or her a call, which, you know, again, a little Pollyannish, but it, it shouldn't be. It should be, hey, like, a, we worked together on this. You're coming in here telling me why. When I ask you what the difference is, you say it's about the same. It's a little bit less. You should buy for me. And that, that should throw cause and concern for somebody who understands how we got from, you know, point A to, to the solution. Yep. I, uh, I, I mean, we invest time and money into getting our team to where they are very strong salespeople. We give them a skill set around their general capacity to be strong salespeople. Is, I mean, most most people who come to Line Drive, they have uh, a couple of jobs under their belt, and they're highly competent, yeah. highly talented individuals. So building that framework about being with them, you know, we, we leverage Sattler and being able to build out cost savings and, and the like. We, we do it. Let's own it. So when the customer, you know, a client, you know, whoever it is, uh, an end user decides, 
you know, this one's a little bit cheaper. Gosh, we've, we've invested energy in helping you solve your problem. What did I miss? I, 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 the story is clear for me. Um, what did I miss, Mr. Customer, or whatever it may be? Right. No, absolutely. Um, looking at the, the distribution side, you know, how do you think our team can do a better job of getting alignment and access to the right customers and those right meetings? Yeah, it's a good question. It's, uh, there's a number of different things I would say for that. I think one the I think one that we overlook at times is we treat each distributor as if it's they're all the same. Um, Interesting. I think um, you know I think uh, one of the uh, if I was going to coach somebody on how to engage with an end user, I would probably reference Samba's sales uh, pain funnel. I'd say, you know, you're going to hear that surface level pain, get them down to business level pain, then get them to personal pain. Pain. I generally reframe personal pain as KPI based pain. Mm. So understanding that individual's performance criteria for them to be successful in their role. And I wonder if that's the same approach with distribution. So if I know that um, the valence safety specialist their individual KPIs look like X, and I can have a positive impact on those, gosh, again, I'm, I'm earning the right to come back and do more business. Mm. So I think it's critical that if we, for us to take the next step with distribution, I would invest energy in understanding the KPIs of each of the people I'm engaged with to ensure that I'm having a positive impact on their business. That will, again, earn me the right to go and work with their best end users. Ah, good, good statement. <laughs> Looking at it from their uh, looking from their vantage point and understanding it and being a, a partner to them, I guess a good yeah, way to sum that so. up. Um, speaking of partners, when we talk about manufacturers, um, without you know getting deep into it, but what do you see are some of the, the key pieces that make an ideal uh, line drive manufacturer client relationship? Yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a great question. Um, I think. Uh, where we've where we where we've been complimented by new manufacturers over the you know the last couple of years, what uh, what jumps out from the, for them is line drives culture, mm-hmm. and I would say ditto in in response to that is I think we have fit well with manufacturers when culturally we're on a very similar playing field where they want to collaborate with us where they they want to be strategically aligned with us I think that that sort of uh, camaraderie, collaboration type of environment, and we're each investing time into the relationship. I think we we, we set the stage for very successful futures where with with uh, with those types of uh, manufacturer partners. So I think we own that as much as as much as they do. We bring we're gonna we're gonna drag that horse to water, so to speak. Um, but boy, it's it really is impactful when we can have a collaborative relationship with any of our clients. I think, yeah, for me, I, that, that that's a great point. I think one of the things that I've seen that where we've been um, uh, really just a good fit is when we're able to celebrate wins, both small and large, and, and taking the time to you know mutually to say like, hey, this is really cool. This is this is good, and and, and being being good with that, and not uh, not Zemania's favorite line of what's next. <laughs> mm. Right. It's what have you done for me lately? Uh, it, it becomes it becomes almost parent child, and that doesn't foster the, a very productive environment. I think we're in a we're in a unique space where um, you know we're solving customers' problems in partnership with our manufacturers, and frankly, 
not only are we doing something that is impacting people's lives, but we get a chance to enjoy it as well. I, lo I love some of the, the energy we get some from some of our manufacturers when they talk about success in terms of how many lives that they how many lives that they've impacted. Yeah, we'll make money and we'll, there'll be dollars at the at the end of the tunnel, so to speak. But gosh, I mean, just to hear the passion behind how their product is actually helping people live better lives. Guys, it's, it's really easy to work with people that, that have that much passion for helping people. Yeah, I think we, um, yeah, 100%. So I, I don't want to gloss that over because I know that there's, you know, there's certainly some of our manufacturers that are very specific in that life-saving and that, you know, like that trauma-related um event and, and helping on that but i also think of like the there's other manufacturers of ours that you know just i got a guy who's trying to run a plant 12 hours a day five days a week getting called in overnights because machines are going down and you know like can we take stress off of that he has somebody who like who's trying to keep their employees safe and she's doing the hardest she can within a within a budget or maybe some sort of like procurement limitations can we help them do their job and, and take that stress away so um we, and we again we typically think of like the first aid or the life-saving products but um I don't know, this, you know, this would be so cheesy, but I was like, what about like, what are the other ways that we help save people's lives? And then I, yeah, it's bad. Yeah. I, I um, <laughs> you know, I, I go back to the KPI based pain. I, I, I like that because gosh, if you can, um, if you can help the production guy, even the production folks, you know, they're really working hard to deliver a good product for their end users. Right. So every manufacturer, every plant we go into, they have an end user just like we do. And if they can, if we can help them with their KPIs, it means they're delivering a better product to their end user. They're feeling better. I, I'm, I'm dangerously close to pulling out a, a guitar and kumbaya in it for a nice. second. But the truth is, like that, we are impacting people in a very positive way. If they are doing, if they are feeling like they are fulfilled in their world. Production folks maxing out their output and their efficiencies. Their appraisals are off the charts because they're doing a fantastic job. And we help do that because we were able to improve the efficiency of their machine. Or we were able to improve their ability to, you know, cut more holes or, or whatever it may be. And that stuff is really helping people. It's not saving lives in that case, but it's giving them a much more fulfilling position to be in. Right. I think the, you know, back... Uh Back in the before times, it was at a, a food processing plant, and we were talking about uh, energy savings and some of our products that will help with that. And uh, it was great. The, the distributor rep grabbed me, like pulled me aside and was like, I don't know if you know this. I don't know if you picked this up, but like this per procurement person's bonus is tied to energy savings. And she needs to come up with a, it was something like $150,000 energy saving goal this year across different products. And like we were talking a $30,000-plus solution. Uh, you know, with some very small, some, very small, but you know, by, by doing a little quick behavior changes and, and utilizing some tools in their process. So, you know, when you get, become aligned to those persons, um, you know, things like bonus. <laughs> when you talk about bonus dollars, you know, that's pretty important yeah. to some people. They no nobody's ever got mad at a bonus. Well, maybe at that size of a bonus, but no one's ever got mad at getting <laughs> right. a bonus. Right. Right. Bonus is bonus. It's extra. Right. Um, talk to me about uh, sort of. You know, we're getting into the we're. we're Building up speed into the back half of 2021, you know, we're, we're we just we're, we're turning into H2. Um, things are opening up, stuffs coming out. You know, we're, we're seeing some really just positive signs from engagement sales numbers. So, you know, what are you most excited for for the back half of 2021, and then moving into 22? Yeah, I uh, I think it goes it should go without saying. I'm really looking forward to our team getting back out in front of um, more end users. I think we've 
we've, we've seen a substantial increase just in the last couple of months, uh, certainly going into this year. Um, you know, the, it, it feels obnoxious reporting out six digit, uh, sorry, three digit percentage increases. Uh, but that's where we are. Um, and I don't ant- I anticipate that going into H2, it'll be a very similar story that, you know, we, we are going to amend the scorecard to, to encourage our team to be out in front of more end users. Um, I think for us to be successful, there's a couple of pieces here. Number one, we're going to be in front of more end users. But number two, I think the end users are going to be more inclined to start investing in solving problems that they haven't been able to for the last 12 months. So we're going to have a very, we're going to, a couple of things. We're going to have an opportunity to get back and, our, and our, get back to playing the role of, you know, consultant on the road to trusted advisor. Right. Uh, but we're also going to be invest. We're also going to be investing time with end users who are looking forward to solving problems they've been sat on for a while. And it's going to be very fulfilling for us to be able to take those those hotspots or those challenges that they've had, convert those into solutions. They will reap the benefits of the success. And we will reap the benefits of of uh, you know of POS growth and solutions being sold. So. I think it's important that we start looking towards the end of 2021 as a refinement of the last 18 months. Let's get back on track and set the stage for 2022. And what I mean by that, I want to be clear, is I'm not saying let's sandbag it for 2021 or for 2022. I'm saying let's get back after it, start in H2. Uh, we're, we're right there. Get back into the flow of being solution consultant in its full capacity Get in front of those end users, help them solve problems, accept the Q1 was a bit of a bust, and start leveraging H2 as a way to fill that gap. We can do it. We have we have the right people. We've invested in a larger team than we had before. All those things are coming into play to set the stage for our team and each individual seller, building the plan to be successful for the rest of the year. Right. We've made some key investments. I know we're continuing to make investments and, and there'll be some more to come on that. Uh, the one thing I thought you, you said was interesting and, and uh, look at it, I don't say the pent up demand, but you know, people are looking back. Everyone sort of held the cards close to the vest over the past year and a half. And, you know, there's uncertainty there and there's, there's uncertainty in the market and uncertainty for businesses. But, you know, now that people are, are really trying to take care of and, and solve those problems that have been building up, you know, I, I don't look at it as a, as a way to, to sandbag or do it, you know, see these triple digit increases. To me, I, I see that as here's a chance for us to go in and solve multiple problems and probably some urgent problems and using that to be a springboard into, you know, uh, building that speed and then maintaining that speed or maintaining that velocity, I guess is a better way to put it, into 2022 and, and, and being uh, quicker to be able to fully occupy that trusted advisor role. Yeah, I think about who better, who is better primed to help customers solve problems in this environment than us. Um, we're in multiple plants on a weekly basis. We've seen multiple ways that people have addressed the issues of COVID. We've seen multiple ways that we've seen customers address the, the various different problems that we're going to solve in the context of our, of our products. We're the best consultant walking in the door that week. Um, there's no doubt about it. So how can we leverage that? And to your point, get that first initial problem solved to get that initial win and then using that as a launch pad for exponential growth uh, within that singular end user and therefore um, our territories. Right. Awesome. I, I, like, I like the uh, the enthusiasm and just like the, uh, the clear mantra. It's good. Um, the one thing I want to talk to you about, 
we talk about there's, there's some, a lot of people here are the most interesting people in the world but you mentioned earlier on about your um your love for for teaching and for sports and how you almost went into be a, a FIAD teacher but um you've done some interesting instruction around some interesting sports in some interesting places uh, give a little listen let's talk about uh your sojourn a few years ago yeah i um yeah <laughs> I don't know how it's for you, Brian, but occasionally I look back on my life and I go, what the heck happened and how did I end up there? Um, yes, a lot. A lot <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's happened a lot to me, too. Uh, gosh, how do I paint this picture in like a paragraph? I After I got done with soccer, I was tired of soccer and I didn't want to run anymore. I was a goalkeeper, so I didn't run much anyway. So I decided to, you know, follow some sort of. Um, it was, a, an, again, a friend uh, coaxed me into jujitsu world. So I did that for a decade and beat my body up that way. And then I moved to Raleigh and I was tired of that stuff. So then I got into what is called Krav Maga. Uh, it's what the Israeli Defense Forces use for, and have done for 60, 70 years. It started way back, uh, way back when. Anyway, long story short, it's one of the most practical self-defense um systems and it is a system uh self-defense systems that they've ever had it wasn't you know somebody decreed it from a mountaintop uh 2000 years ago put it on a scroll and we're gonna follow that dictate uh, but this is a very practical solution to many different problems within self-defense anyway what that means is over the course of doing that i i became an instructor then i started a school and then uh Next thing I know, I've, I've, I've now been to Cairo, I've been to uh, Nairobi, Kenya, and I've been to uh, Aurangabad, India, uh, and a couple of other spots going out there to, uh, to train charities and, and uh, on you know, various different self-defense needs that they have. They, they're in very precarious situations, and I, if I can give them six to ten days worth of you know, practical self-defense system, you know, it's interesting. It's got me to a couple of odd spots in the world that I never thought I would have been to. No, but it's really cool and hearing those stories. So if if you're ever around Scott, you know, there's there's a lot of really great stories around uh, those opportunities he has gone on to coach and teach and, and help uh, help train self defense to people who could really use it. So I think that's an yeah, awesome that piece. is uh, that's truly a passion of mine. That's that's kind of where the the desire to continue coaching and teaching and being in that world came from was seeing how quickly someone could walk into my studio with a, a sincere fear of, of whatever environment they find themselves in, whether it's they work late and they're walking through a parking lot late at night and they're just terrified and, you know, taking them from that to within literally two to three months, I've got them, I've got three or four of my biggest destructors pounding them with pads and they're, they're fighting their way out like wild beast. I mean, it's just such a fun journey to watch people go down. And, and at the end of it, it's, it, it's an amazing journey to watch people just address a, address a problem and, and ultimately come with a solution that, that impacts their lives. I, sounds familiar. Excellent. So I uh, always want to wrap up someone who's been around for a while. Um, best favorite uh, nugget, line drive, memory, experience? What's, uh, what, what comes to mind? Yeah, again, uh, how, do I, how do I end up in the positions I end up? I think um, – one of the most memorable things I, I I'd never been a part of was back in my territory role. I was up in um, just north of Richmond, Virginia, and I was in a hotel. It was about, I don't know, 536 o'clock, um, and I'm, I got the laptop out, and I'm getting ready to do some work. I, 
I um, knock on the door. I'm on the fourth floor. This time, I, I remember the room number. It's 411. Uh, someone knocks on the door. I put, look up at the, the little spyglass thing, whatever it's called, and there's a cop with a gun drawn. I'm like, oh, no, what I do? They got me. <laughs> like, was it a parking ticket? What's the deal here? So I, so I open the door, and I basically like, hi. And, uh, and he said, uh, he looked at me, then he grabbed the door handle, slammed the door shut. I'm like, oh, no. Um, wrong room? I don't know. <laughs> Not my parking ticket, I guess. So I, uh, I'm now curious. So I'm now staring out of the hall, trying to see what's going on. And there's a handful of cops walking up and down the hall. So next thing I know, same cop comes back to the door, knocks on the door. But I'm stood right there. And I'm like, oh, that's strange. <laughs> so I take like three steps back and I yell, coming. <laughs> I, I didn't want him to know I was looking out the door. <laughs> Excuse me. So I open the door. And he's like, grab your wallet, grab your keys. I need you to get out. I'm like, oh, no, this is terrible. So anyway, so I grab my wallet, grab my keys. And um, anyway, so I, I, he escorts me to the, the staircase. Another cop takes me down the staircase. I'm like, what's going on? And as I, I won't go into detail, but in the room right next to mine, was a serious, there was a really serious incident going on. So they booted me out of the hotel. I got back to my room at 7 o'clock the next morning. They wow. put me up in another hotel. I had to spend literally like six hours at the Buffalo Wild Wings that was right across the street. <laughs> and, uh-huh. and, then, and I walk into the, back into my room. They had packed my bag. They, they put all my clothes back in my bag, loaded up my laptop. They, they did a great job packing my bag. But they had used my room as like base camp for the SWAT team and all kinds of people that were involved in this issue. And uh I, I can assure you, I, this is my, one of my biggest takeaways. Apparently, cops who live just north of Richmond, Virginia, love Pepsi and chocolate-covered pretzels because that was everywhere. Oh, that was a- so that was highly memorable. That was, uh, and if I can add just quickly to the end of that, I, like two weeks later, I'm in another hotel, and I get there late, and I pull, get up to the reception and the reception area. A guy a guy comes out of like the the restaurant area backs into me he's choking and basically sort of sign language is like heimlich maneuver so i i give this guy the heimlich he clears his throat whatever it was came out came out he didn't say anything to me and just walked out the door you know sometimes i was fun man sometimes not even a high five i saved your life pretty sure that's how that's how that's ended anyway sometimes so a series of chaotic hotel stays well, that's you know that's life on the road. That's uh, that's how it can end up sometimes. Yeah, no doubt. Well, Scott, thank you for joining us. Uh, a lot of insight. Uh, really glad to hear um, how you see the business is trending and what we can look forward to in the back half of the year. So, thank you again, and uh, look forward to having you on another time. Thank you, Brian. Appreciate it. All right, joining us now is another guest on uh, my uh, just absolutely adored segment, Better Get to New, a noob. Uh, Who's joining us today? Who are you and where are you from? Ryan McNally, and I'm from Kansas City. 
Yes, Ryan McNally, our solutions consultant from Kansas City, who uh, has the joy and honor of chauffeuring me around his territory this week. So um, thanks for thanks for joining me in the pod. Yeah, you're welcome. It's a pleasure. Absolutely. So uh, I always like to take take the start. We, we talk about this role, and we'll talk about some of the you know the things that you you've seen in this role. But you know, think about what was your first job in high school. My first job in high school. Uh, so when I'm not making this up, it's a really weird sounding restaurant name. It's called Super Salad. All right. <laughs> they are no longer in business, uh, and it wasn't due to me. Um, <laughs> well, that's but, good to clarify. I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. It was. It was nothing to do with me. Um, it, it, it's basically it was like a buffet salad bar with soups, right? I don't know how um, something like that could not be in business. It sounds amazing. I know. I I, I think it would do really well right now. Doesn't sound yeah. Yeah, I was just a just a busser, right? I mean, you didn't obviously it's a uh, a buffet, right? So people serve themselves, uh, so pretty shoddy tips to say the least. But you know, <laughs> what was to say? What, what was like? Uh, what was the one thing that you learned from that job, or maybe the one takeaway you had? Uh, you know, keep on top of the water. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the not... water was. The water was key. That's actually it, wait. Uh, that that's it, interesting because if anyone spends time with you as you're drinking out of a water bottle, currently knows that your love of water and staying on top of water is continued through life. So maybe the has that's the one thing you learned is how important it is to stay hydrated. True. Yeah, that was the start of it for me. Ryan, Ryan, and I have spent a few times together out the field, and uh, I always enjoy when he like reaches the back seat and just pulls out an absolute jug of water and starts just going to town on it. <laughs> It's great. Um, so you come to us from an industrial background, not similar. There's a, there's a lot of people who come from a direct industrial sales background, but you came to us from a uh, similar, uh, I would say similar, but calling on similar customers with a, a different product category. Talk us, uh, yep. what were you doing before Line Drive? Yeah, so um, I did. Um, I was actually, uh, I was a distributor rep, um, but we predominantly focused on like adhesives and sealants uh, tapes and gasketing. So like I, I rep for manufacturers like 3M, which anyone can rep for pretty much. Um, Dow Corning, uh, a company called Tessa and single Bain and stuff like that were kind of some of our, our main players. So from that, you, you were calling on to, you know, in this market, uh, in the Midwest, you've got aerospace, you've got manufacturing, uh, plastics and polymers. So it's similar customers you're seeing now. Just I would probably say with a little bit different flavor because you were heavily prospecting with the end user. Heavily, very heavily. It was all prospecting, especially early on. It was what I would call a virgin territory. Uh, you know, I had more territory. I had five full states that I covered um, with not a lot of sales dollars, uh, which certainly grew that a lot. But um, the only thing that is a major difference, I didn't have aerospace. We didn't have the credentials to sell into it. Um, so I didn't do that. We were huge in transportation though. Right. So it's, it's always fun for me, um, selling still on the John Deere and, um, big, big, uh, transportation accounts. Like we talked about today with Collins bus was a big customer of mine. Um, so yeah. All right. So I was saying one of the things that's gotta be different is, you know, you're out there end user, end user prospecting, you know, we, we sort of coming to line drive, you insert this layer of distribution, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, how has that been figuring out where, how, how that fits? Yeah, that was different and difficult. You know, one, obviously, coming on with COVID was, made it a challenge. But um, 
I would say, yeah, just switching my mindset from um, kind of, you know, I'm not their manager, right? But, you know, partnering with them in, um, in, in the distribution level and, and trying to put on a different hat uh, to try to get into the door, right, with them. And, and, and you know, I've, I've learned over some time now that, um, you know, I can really help them and, and their prospecting if they're having troubles getting in there because I've done it for so long that, you know, right? These, these are tools I use too. That's good. So I guess bonding over some some common uh, common knowledge of the struggle. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I know how it is. It's you know, cold calling is part of part of it. There you go. I know. Uh, talk to us about your family. I know you got you've got a tight knit bunch there in Kansas City uh, with a little distance, but but you got the crew. You guys are, are pretty we close. We do. Yeah. So I grew up on the Kansas side in a, a town called Olathe, Kansas. Um, I opted to move over to Missouri. And uh, best decision, a little bit of cushion, <laughs> if you will, from the from the family. Everyone could use the uh, space. Probably 35, 40 minutes, so not far. Um, lower property taxes, which is always solid. Um, but, yeah, close family. Mom and dad actually have been married uh, for 51 years now. Um, got married really young. Um, have an older sister and two nephews and a niece. Um, no kids or married myself, single, mingling, things like that. Uh, I do have a, uh, I do have a rescue dog who's a, a good pal of mine. Um, he's six, looks like 16. He's had a rough life. You know, most rescue dogs do. He's got a lot of gray hair. Luckily he does. And I don't, um, <laughs> he's a, a unique breed, a Jack Russell Corgi mix. So, you know, kind of think about a long, short legged dog. <laughs> Yeah, I got. I think we need to post pictures of this somewhere because I got. I'm just trying to imagine this hybrid. Yeah, yeah, I'll have to get one. He's a he's 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 a character man, and he likes to smile. So I'll have to find one and share it. So I I know one of the things that's important to you is working out. You're a guy who likes uh, likes the physical fitness. You had a little bit of an incident that happened to you a few months ago that that uh, kind of threw you sideways there. I did, yeah. Uh, so I, I I predominantly work out early in the morning. Um, and <laughs> I, uh, it was busy. Um, and I was trying to be respectful of, uh, my fellow gym members in there. And, um, it was the leg day and I was doing leg press. They didn't have enough weight for me. I sound like some kind of, you know, awesome jock, but you know, it's not like huge. Uh, but, uh, they didn't have enough plates for me to do like a good workout with leg press. So I'm like, well, let's be creative and try one leg and leg presses. Why not? I, I, I did see someone do it before. I'm like, so I can do it. Um, I'm, um, fun fact about me. I'm left-handed, left-footed. Uh, so I started with my left foot. Everything went well. Um, didn't know my weight, obviously, which was the big problem. And, uh, went on to the right one and about three reps in my leg gave out and I, uh, I put about 260 pounds on my chest. Um, I couldn't hear, you know, because I had AirPods in, but I felt this pop and, uh, I thought I broke my rib instantly. It really, you know, pretty, pretty intense pain right away. Um, as it went on, it got really difficult to breathe and I, uh, I ended up having to go to the emergency room and yeah, it tore up muscle in my stomach and my abdominal wall. Um, so sidelined for two months, luckily I didn't have to have surgery um but it was a bummer to say the least and 
I think that was probably the, the moment to realize I'm not some kind of bodybuilder. And just, <laughs> you learn our own, uh, I don't say mortality, but our own, our own limitations. How about that? You know, it's, uh, but a, a bummer for you because you are one who likes to work out and run. And, and I know another one of your big hobbies is golf. And they basically told you to not sneeze. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, it, you don't really realize how much you use your core until you like destroy your core. Like I did, um, <laughs> You know, I mean, just getting out of bed was like grim. I mean, just absolutely terrible. Um, you know, even putting on your shoes and socks and all that kind of stuff for, I mean, easily a month. Uh, I, I am happy to say I did just get released and free to uh, exercise about two weeks ago now. Been very easy with that. Um, and I actually just played my first round of golf yesterday, which surprisingly actually went fairly well um, and no pain. So I'm happy about that. Uh, it's my second favorite hobby. So, there you go. Um, I always like to ask people the, the little food challenge. Um, what's what's your side? What do you prefer? So, if you got to get going, pizza or wings? Where are you at? Uh, I'm gonna say wings. Yeah. All right. I was gonna ask Pepsi or Coke or Dr Pepper, but I think the answer is a jug of water. Yeah, it is water. Whatever. I mean, you know, I, if I had to pick one of those, I guess Dr Pepper probably, but. All right, that's a consequence of being close to the south. <laughs> You're doing a steak on the grill. Is it medium rare or medium well? Medium rare. All right, you like a little blood? Must be, yeah. I like to I like to see a little little blood when I cut into her. All right, you've been around the Midwest both for work and travel. Who's got the best barbecue? You know, like what in my it like. Does Kansas City have the best barbecue? I'm gonna yeah, say I'm, I'm just bait, I'm baiting you into that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we got so many good places. Uh, I like Joe's Kansas City. They actually changed the name on it uh, a little over a year ago. I like that one probably the most. Uh, Jack Stacks a close second for me though. All right. If you ever if you're ever traveling through uh, KC, got the barbecue recommendations. So, uh, eight months into the role, what's been the uh, most exciting or coolest thing that's happened to you? I would say really just, you know, now that it's it's opening up again and getting out and doing more and more end user visits is, is exciting for me. I mean, that's what I like to do. I like I like traveling. I like um, finding uh, problems and creating solutions. And I would say that and, and then also really, you know, just now being involved in the aerospace market. I mean, we're right next to Wichita. We're not going this time, but uh, that's pretty cool to me to, uh, to be able to like call on those kind of customers now. I like that. Yeah. There's a, I guess, you know, a lot more diversity in, in what we do uh, and who we're, we're touching and calling on. Mm-hmm. There is. So, so through the pandemic, the last, you know, what uh, you said, you're not a TV guy. So what's the, uh, what were you watching to get you through? Yeah, I don't, I, you know, I don't know. It's probably because I've just traveled, you know, so much through my career that I don't, like, I'm not home at normal times, right, to watch TV. And I'm kind of a cheapo. I don't have cable, right? Uh, I I, uh, I got, like, YouTube TV. I stream it. I, I can record stuff on it, but I just, I don't watch regular TV. So uh, I watch a lot of documentaries, and I love, like, I, I do like, like, true crime stuff and true, you know, real-life movies. Um, so those are kind of the, the things that I get into. That's good. I, I watch I watch some of the, the, the true crime stuff, a lot of the seventies crime stuff. It just have, it's very scary. Some of the stuff it's, yeah. a little, it's a little frightening what was going on. It is. 
It's real. Real real can be creepy. Real can be creepy. So, well, thank you for joining us. Uh, we're glad to have you on the team filling out this critical spot in the Midwest and looking forward to working with you in the future. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, that's our show. Another fresh look into the workings of Line Drive. Thank you all for listening, and thanks to Scott and Ryan for joining us. I appreciate your continued feedback and requests for topics and special guests. Keep them coming. Make sure that you subscribe on your favorite pod hosting platform, and if you like the show, and frankly, who doesn't, make sure that you tell a fellow Line Driver to give it a listen. Certified Fresh is a Line Drive production. Recording happens in magical places all throughout this land, with guests located far and not so far. Your host and executive producer is me, Brian Zemania, and our technical producer and creator of magic is Amy Struckmeyer.